In the name of our Lord Jesus, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. The Christian life is one of ongoing transformation. Through St. Paul, the Lord urges, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You have been transformed by your baptism. And you are repeatedly being transformed and continuously transformed by the word of God that is preached and the sacrament of the altar that is administered. Through these things, God reaches down and transforms you. He shapes you as clay. This is the Holy Spirit's work, shaping and molding you just as God molded Adam from the dust on the sixth day of creation. But you've been forgiven your sins, enlivened from the dust, so that you may co cooperate with the Holy Spirit in your sanctifying transformation. But what are you being transformed into? In the season of Lent, we take deliberate action to exercise. God may and does send seasons of tribulation, crosses for us to bear, this 40-day period is the opportunity we take intentionally to strengthen ourselves for those periods. We walk deliberately into a wilderness looking for the pattern of Jesus, our Savior. You are put into the pattern of Jesus. You'll notice that Jesus entered his 40-day fast and temptation deliberately as well. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. There's one difference between Jesus' exercise and ours, though. Jesus did so to take our place, to resist temptation which you and I and all human beings otherwise have welcomed with open arms. Yes, we like to hide our acceptance of temptation behind the darkness, the magnificently wicked nature of our fallenness is that we can live in darkness blind to how wicked we truly are when we give in to temptation we're able to convince ourselves that in fact we're doing something good a small evil is worth a great good a little indulgence is good if it prevents a greater outburst or if it lets me live more at peace with others or if it accomplishes what I perceive to be positive ends. In our sin, we are in such utter darkness that we convince ourselves that the five inches that we can see in front of our faces is the totality of existence. We think we're so wise, wise enough even to judge that some of God's commands are not as serious as others, or that we know the nuances, the fine points at which others might believe we're sinning, but we know we're not. In actuality, we're, we're just children looking for loopholes in our Father's law, slinking around to take what he knows is unhealthy, but of which we love the taste. 
Jesus did not give in to temptation in even one small point. The devil's first tempting word in the wilderness was apparently very simple, and we might wonder why it was a temptation at all. If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Why not? There was no command that Jesus had to fast. There's no command that you or I have to give something up for Lent either. And we can notice this about all kinds of things. There's no command about the way we worship, for instance. And there's no command about how many kids to have. But the devil likes to convince us in these cases of our own wisdom so that we can do whatever we want because we obviously know what's best. Countless passages could be cited here to point out how such an attitude is contrary to Christ and his will for you. Generally speaking, God's word wishes you to be humble. Where we lord it over others, being wise in our own opinion, desiring to be served and not to serve, Jesus humbled himself, accepting the hunger because of his trust in his Father. It is written, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus' words against his first temptation show how he was able to resist and further show the purpose for which he underwent temptation in the first place. If Jesus had succumbed, if he had sinned, the word of God would not sustain anybody. It would have failed. But the word of God remains firm and strong. It continues to nourish you, strengthen you, and make you holy. God remains your mighty fortress. And so, the devil will tempt you to believe that since God is your mighty fortress, you can do whatever you want without harm. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. In both of these first temptations, the devil was trying to elicit pride from Jesus. In the first, it would be pride in his own abilities, miracles he could perform to serve himself. In the second, it would be pride in his relationship to God. God loves you so much, the devil seems to be saying. You can go and take unwise risks, and you know he'll protect you. Jesus calls this attitude tempting God. It is written again, he said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. In that citation, he referred to the time that Israel tempted God by angering him. If God really loved them, they reasoned, they could stretch that love far. They could complain and threaten his chosen servant Moses, and his love would still follow them. They demanded blessings from God rather than trusting that he would care for them on the journey he had set for them. Jesus would have repeated this sin if he had demanded God's protection as he leapt down from the temple instead of trusting in his care as Jesus followed the path God had set for him. So are you trusting in God's care? Do you know by faith that he has promised to provide for you as you walk in the path that he has set for you? Wherever that path leads, even if it leads through a wilderness, even though you may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, look to the shepherd who leads you. Jesus' path led to the cross. 
But his father did not permit him to come to harm until he reached his destination. He was persecuted, hated, rejected, and more. But none of that harmed him. And because Jesus took your sins of pride and fear to the cross, although you will also suffer persecution and bear crosses as Jesus did, none of it will harm you. But the reality of the cross is the target point of the next temptation. Would Jesus really suffer so much for the sake of his kingdom? The devil offers him an alternative. All these things, he says, that is, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. What an absurd temptation that is. How could the devil think that the all-knowing Jesus would for one second be tempted to worship him? The thing is, what we see the devil doing so obviously here is really something that he is a master at doing in subtlety. To worship the devil, you don't have to be a Satanist. You don't have to use any of his symbols or pray explicitly to him. No, the worship of Satan is any worship, and that means any actions in life or thoughts of the heart that removes wholehearted trust in Jesus, in God. The devil can accomplish this when he makes you fear the suffering that you will face for the sake of the gospel. Physical, emotional, spiritual, financial, social suffering. Or when he makes you love something in the world more than you love Christ. Friends, families, institutions, countries, or ideas. Or when he blinds you with the worries and cares of this life, choking your faith so that you focus instead on what you need to do for your security or the security of those people and things that you love. And this temptation is dangerous. Although it looks so foolish and obvious here in our gospel, the devil is cleverer than you are. He has thousands of years of practice and he has seen all the wicked desires of men. You are no surprise to him. But Jesus teaches you again a valuable lesson in his response to Satan here. Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. As Luther's hymn sings, one little word can fell him. It's the word of Jesus that drives back the devil. Jesus is God, so of course when he speaks, what he says is done. But the really remarkable thing, the miracle, really, is that he has given this word to you. When you speak the gospel of Jesus in faith and command the devil to depart, he does. When the devil tempts you to despair over how great your guilt and shame are, you can tell him, away, Jesus has died for all my sins. When the devil tempts you to fear for the future, you can tell him, away, God remains faithful and Jesus' promise stands sure, whatever future may come, however difficult. And I know what gifts my Lord gives me. When he tempts you to love the people and things of this world more than your Lord, you can tell that devil away. These are all the lovely gifts that my Lord has given to me, and for them I thank and praise him. This word is given to the church. This word which turns away the devil is given to your pastor to absolve you. When the word of forgiveness washes over you, the devil is beaten back and you are raised up. 
When the devil left Jesus, the angels came and ministered to him. The angels of God minister also to you. They are there wherever the powerful word and sacraments of God come to fight the devil and his forces back. That's ultimately what Lent is all about. The fast of Lent is not about earning something or proving anything. I heard a comedian say that because Jesus went without food in the wilderness for 40 days, we go the 40 days of Lent without chocolate to prove that we can make sacrifices too. And that really makes the point, doesn't it? Don't focus on our sacrifices. Focus on the sacrifice of Jesus. His 40-day fast was an exercise in preparation for the ultimate sacrifice he would make on the cross. He made that sacrifice for you. And then Lent's fast makes way for Easter's feast because he rose from the dead for your justification. You also have life in him. What, therefore, is the purpose of Lent? You're put into the pattern of Jesus. You are joined to his whole life in baptism. You walk along it throughout your life while God gives you sorrows and joys, while he feeds you with his word and sacrament. He is making you more and more like Jesus, strengthening you, making you holy, sharing the truth of salvation with others. God's word remains forever. It remains for you. Whatever exercises, whatever troubles, whatever temptations you face, you are saved and blessed in Jesus for eternal life. Today marks the conclusion of my ministry among you. I pray God will accomplish his purpose for you, especially the purpose of your salvation. And I leave you with the words from St. Paul in his first letter to the Thessalonians. We exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Amen. Please rise. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to everlasting life. Amen. Please turn to page 70 for the offertory. We sing the offertory. Mm -hmm. 